0: Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
1: 18+. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. thank you as always for listening. I am flying solo for today's podcast because with this midweek fixture, there is just too much to cover in too little time. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I will give you my thoughts on our draw to Bologna on Sunday and in part 2, I will preview our match on Wednesday against Udinese. So let's get right into it with our draw to Bologna, as I'm sure you're already aware, this match finished in a scoreless draw. It was the third consecutive league match in which we dropped points, and just like that, we find ourselves sitting 7th in the table, 7 points behind the league leaders, Inter, and to make matters worse, The players are starting to look very frustrated. It certainly feels like a crisis is nearby if it hasn't already arrived. That's where I want to begin with Victor Osiman's reaction to being replaced by Giovanni Simeone in the 86th minute. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now, but in case you missed it, or perhaps for fans of other clubs who happen to listen to the podcast, Victor was certainly not happy. In fact, he was visibly irate about being taken out of the match. Osiman made it clear what he thought should have happened, gesturing the number two to Rudy Garcia to say that the coach should have played him and Simeone together as he had done in previous matches. Now, I have absolutely no issue with players being frustrated or angry when they're taken off. I've said this on the pod time and time again. For me, that is a sign of passion and it shows that they care, which I welcome with open arms. However... The gesturing towards the coach is something that I did not welcome. I didn't call out Cavada for his reaction to being subbed off in the Genoa match, but the same thing applies to him. In my opinion, that is completely disrespectful to the coach. As a footballer, you are expected to be a professional and to respect the decisions of the coach, even if you do not agree with them. I'm not even opposed to the players expressing their discontent to the coach, but those conversations need to be had in the locker room, not in front of 26, 27000 fans, apparently 7,000 of which were Napoli fans. Now, I posted this on X and I was a little bit surprised at how many people responded saying that Garcia deserved that reaction. I completely disagree with that. For me, if Garcia did something disrespectful to the players, then he would have deserved that reaction. But all he did was make a tactical decision. A coach is well within his rights to replace a player when he deems fit, and that is not being disrespectful to the player. Coaches have to make judgment calls. By the way, if you didn't see my post on X, Luciano Spalletti played Osimhen and Simeone together five times last season, and these were the results. 1-1 draw to Lecce, 1-0 defeat to Inter, 1-0 loss to Lazio, 1-1 draw to Salernitana, and 2-2 draw to Cremonese in the Coppa Italia, which we ended up losing in a penalty shootout. In all of those matches, Simeone was brought in to play alongside Ossiman because we needed to score, and neither of them scored a single goal when they played together. Garcia has already used the pair together twice this season in the 2-0 win over Sassuolo and the 2-1 loss to Lazio, and the results were pretty much the same. Now yes, we won that Sassuolo match, but Simeone was brought on after we were already up by two and after Maxim Lopez was sent off. Again, neither player scored in either of those matches. So if history is any indication, this pair was highly unlikely to score, yet so many of our fans seemed pretty convinced that they would have, or at the very least, that they would have given us the best chance to score. And I get it. Obviously, players like Cavada and Osiman are clearly the best attacking options we have. Players like Elmas and Simeone are clearly inferior in terms of their quality. However, there is a point where a fresh Elmas or a fresh Simeone is the better option than a tired Cavada or a tired Osiman. Now, some people will say that a tired Cavada or a tired Osiman are always better options than a fresh Elmas or a fresh Simeone, and that's fair enough, but Garcia is responsible for making those decisions. And he is also accountable for those decisions. So if you want him out and you think these decisions are awful, then he's only accelerating the outcome that you want, which is that he gets sacked. For me, that's where we should be rightfully critical of Garcia. I have no problem at all with him removing a player like Osiman in the 86th minute or Cavada in the 89th minute of the Genoa match because they had plenty of time to impact those matches my issue is with our tactics after we make those changes. Unlike the Genoa match where the substitutes completely changed that game, the substitutes in the Bologna match made absolutely no impact. I'm not a huge fan of this direct approach, but at least with Osiman on the pitch I can live with it because he is so dangerous with that pace that he can create chances for himself and for his teammates. But we cannot use that same approach With Simeone in the match, we just continued to launch the long ball forward and Cholito is just not going to get to those balls like Osiman does. That was a big problem for me. We looked really poor in the attack in those final 15 or 20 minutes of the match. Neither Milan nor Inted played particularly well this round, Milan had even more injuries than we did, and yet both of those teams found a way to edge out 1-0 victories. We just seemed completely lost in the attack, devoid of ideas. So that is definitely something that needs to be worked on. It's also worth noting that we are in the middle of a period where we play seven matches in the span of 23 days. We simply cannot play these players for the full 90 minutes in every single match. If we do, it's only a matter of time before they are sitting on the sidelines with muscular injuries, alongside Amir Rekmani and Juan Jesus. I can almost guarantee you that had we played Cavada or Osiman in every minute of every game. And one or both of them got hurt, then everybody would be blaming Garcia for not rotating enough. At the same time, I don't want to be too hard on the players because they are still very young, Cavada's 22 and Victor's 24. It's easy to forget how young Osiman is because he's been such a dominant player, but he is very young and in fact he's way more mature now than he was when he signed with Napoli only a couple of seasons ago. Also, to Victor's credit, numerous sources reported on Monday that he apologized both to his teammates and more importantly to the coach. So for now, at least, it seems like it is water under the bridge. All that being said, the very fact that the players are reacting this way is a very bad sign indeed. For me, there is no denying that. The players are not just frustrated with the results, but also with the tactical approach of the coach. If he hasn't already lost his locker room, then Garcia is probably on the brink of losing it. The situation is very volatile at the moment. All it takes is a couple of wins against weaker clubs such as Udinez or Lecce, who we have next, to turn things around. However, if we don't win both of those matches, then this can go off the rails and blow up pretty quickly. Now, depending on who you ask, The train has already gone off the rails. There is already a very large contingent of Napoli fans, perhaps a majority of Napoli fans, who want Garcia out. I've already explained my views on this, so I won't belabor the point. Suffice to say, I want to see a few more games before I make a judgment, but I fully understand and appreciate why a lot of Napoli fans are just done with Garcia. We don't play anywhere near the same way that we played last season. The squad is almost identical to last season, and while we have lost Kim, you could say that we upgraded at other positions, yet the results, and more importantly, the performances have been quite poor. If you follow LiveScore's social media accounts, you might think that Napoli have already trailed for more minutes this season than we did for the entirety of last season. The only issue with that post is that it happens to be factually incorrect. It's simply not true, at least not yet. Now, If Napoli were to sack Garcia, the preferred replacement, according to many Napoli fans, is Antonio Conte. That would certainly be a flashy signing, but I simply do not see it happening. Conte was making something like 10 or 11 million euros gross at Inted, so even if he took a pay cut, he'd still be one of the highest paid coaches in club history, maybe the highest. On top of that, we'd be paying around 4 million euros gross for Garcia's salary for two full seasons, which is different than the Ancelotti situation because we sacked Ancelotti in the second season. That's about So Conte and Garcia's salaries together would total around 10 to 15 million euros gross per season, which is way more than we should be paying for the coach. Now, a lot of people will say if we want to maintain any chance of winning the league, that's just a cost we're going to have to accept. Unfortunately, that is not how football clubs like ours operate. And that's not to say that the club isn't interested in winning, as they've been accused of in the past, but rather that they want to win in a fiscally responsible way. As you're well aware, our biggest source of revenue is the Champions League. Thus, the only way that I see De Laurenti's sacking Garcia is if that source of revenue in particular is threatened both in the current edition and in the next one. We won our opening match of the group stage against Braga, so the current edition is pretty well in hand, or at least it's under control at the moment. We're currently 7th in the league, but it's way too early to feel like a top 4 finish is at risk. I think we can say fairly confidently that Inter and Milan will finish in the top 4. Likewise, despite their strong starts, I don't think anyone is expecting Lecce or Frosinone to finish anywhere near the top of the table with all due respect to those two clubs. Lazio and Roma seem to be competing for the title of the worst club in Rome. It's really astonishing how poorly both of those clubs have started. So that basically leaves Juventus, Fiorentina, Atalanta, and us to compete for the other two top four spots. And even playing the way we are, I'd say we have a pretty good chance of getting there. Hence, De Laurentiis' vote of confidence post on X, though there may have been a bit of a sarcastic undertone to that one. Nevertheless, I think he doesn't quite feel the need to sack the coach just yet, so he might as well give his support. Ironically, the very fact that he made that post is a warning sign in and of itself, because he otherwise would not have posted something like that after a draw. Maybe after a win he would have, but not after a draw. Now, I realize that it's probably pretty depressing to be talking about the chances of the reigning champions of Italy finishing in the top four. I'm not yet ruling out the possibility of repeating as champions, either because Garcia turns it around or because his replacement turns it around. But at the moment, with how well Inter are playing, it certainly feels like our chances of winning the league are quite slim. The sportsbooks currently have us at six and a half to one odds to win the league, behind Juve at five to one, Milan at three and a half to one, and Inter at even money. It's too bad that these are the things we're talking about though, because I actually thought this was our best performance of the season, or close to our best performance of the season. The possession stats were about equal, but it felt like we were in complete control of this match. I thought the 4-5-1 in defense looked much better, we held our shape a lot better, and either forced Bologna to clear the ball straight back to us, or we dispossessed them. Bologna didn't register a single shot attempt, not shot on target, a single shot attempt in the entire first half so their xg in the first half was zero they managed four shot attempts in the second half but only two of them hit the target one was a rather weak effort late in the match the other was the joshua Xerxes shot from a sharp angle that he did really well to create and medet did really well to stop bologna's xg for the match was 0.2 which is basically from that one chance from Xerxy. now admittedly Bologna played far deeper than I was expecting them to which made them much easier to defend. I was really surprised by that. Normally Bologna play football as they say in Italy. They typically play their own brand of football rather than just reacting to their opponents. But Motta said after the match that their plan was to frustrate Napoli. It was clear to me that they had zero desire to win this match even though they were playing at home. Now, the good thing is that created ideal circumstances for our center back pairing of Leo Ostergaard and Natan, who made his full debut. I thought both did well when they were called upon. Natan was very calm on the ball, very assured. He kept it simple. He didn't try to force any passes or make any risky runs forward. I suspect we could see more of that once he's more comfortable on the pitch, but I'm glad for now that he is playing it safe. He won a couple of tackles and aerial duels as well. So that was good to see. At the other end, we created some decent chances. Once again, we were unlucky that Osiman hit the upright early in the match. Kavada wasn't able to score on the rebound, but please do not look at the freeze frame of that chance because it completely removes the fact that Kavada barely had any time to react to that rebound. When things are going your way, you probably do still score on that rebound, but at the moment, things are not really going Kavada's way. That said, this might have been his best performance of the season. He was taking on his man and very often getting past him. Napoli zone posted his match statistics on X. In 76 minutes of play, he had the most successful dribbles with 3, the most tackles with 2, and he drew the most fouls with 5. He won the most duels with 11, he had 6 ball recoveries and 3 interceptions, so clearly he's still contributing on the defensive end of the pitch. He had 4 shot attempts that generated an XG of 0.89, So Cavada alone had nearly half of the team's XG, which was 2.1, and of course he won the penalty kick, which unfortunately Oseman failed to convert. That was actually another reason why I thought Victor's outburst was a little bit unnecessary. I can appreciate being frustrated with the coach if you're taken off with the score tied 1-1 or 2-2 and you've scored a goal or two, but he was taken off with the score tied 0-0 and he missed a penalty kick. If anything, he should have been frustrated with himself for missing the penalty kick. And don't get me wrong, I know how hard he works and how much he contributes even when he doesn't score. I also know that anyone can miss a penalty kick. Napoli have certainly proven that over the past two seasons. We just don't seem to have a guaranteed penalty taker. We've tried Zielinski, Politano, Cavada, and now and they've all missed an opportunity or two, so I get it. But ultimately that would have won us the match. As I said, both Inter and Milan won their matches. Rafael Leao took one of the few good chances that Milan represented, and Federico Di Marco scored a wonder goal for Inter. This penalty kick was our chance to win 1-0, and we did not take it. But it's not entirely on Victor. Once again, our shot-on-target percentage was very low. We had 11 shot attempts, and only 4 of them hit the target. To borrow a basketball term, our shot selection has been really poor this season, and to me, that is on the coach. We've heard Garcia talk about taking more shots and being willing to shoot from distance. That's exactly what the players are doing, but obviously, it's harder to hit the target when you shoot from distance. We saw Raspadori come close in this match, but that's about it. Also, when you shoot from distance, there's a greater likelihood that your shot will either be blocked or deflected. Sometimes those deflected shots finish wide of the mark, other times they have the sting taken out of them, and the keeper makes the easy save. The last thing I want to comment on is the absence of Jesper Lindstrom, which really is a non-story for me, but I see a lot of people commenting on how we've barely used them. I think this is just part of the piling on to Garcia that's happening at the moment. Lindstrom was signed on the 29th of August, So he did not partake in either of our summer retiri or the club's first two matches of the season. Now, perhaps Garcia set false expectations by throwing him in against Lazio only four days after he joined Napoli. And then he nearly made his second appearance in the Braga match. But after the own goal, Garcia changed the plan to defend the lead. But we need to be a little bit patient here. Not every young player is going to be an immediate star like Cavada was. Cavada is the exception, not the rule. Just look at the performances of the new players so far. We played Cayusta pretty early on, and he had a pretty dreadful debut. Then we gave him some time, and now he's looking like a really good backup option. We waited a really long time to play Natan, and I'm not even sure that we would have played him so soon if our hand wasn't forced, but that seemed to pay off as well. Lindstrom didn't play particularly well in his debut, so perhaps the club is just giving him a little bit more time like they did with Cayusta and I am okay with that. We've only played four games since he joined the club. You would think we've played half a season with how desperate some of our fans are to see this guy play. Just like the assumption that we would have beaten Bologna had we left Ossiman on to play with Cholito, there seems to be this assumption that we would have scored the winner had we brought on Lindstrom. The reality is we just don't know if those changes would have worked. Now I'm sure some people will say, well, look what ended up happening, we should have taken the chance. Yes, it didn't work out. But we have the benefit of hindsight, and the coach does not. He has far more information about the condition of the players than we do, and as I said earlier, it's ultimately him who is accountable for those decisions. Fortunately we don't have too much time to dwell on this result or the previous ones because we are back in action on Wednesday, we'll preview that match in part two.
0: Okay, round two, name something that's not boring
1: Welcome to part 2 of the Forza podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza pod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at press.com. Alright, so let's talk about our match against Udinese on Wednesday. And there is only one place that we can start, which is this insane Victor-Osiman situation. By the way, if you're wondering why I didn't even mention this in part one, it's because I recorded part one before that story broke. So just to recap, two videos were doing the rounds on social media that may or may not have been posted by the club. The first was a video of Osiman with some weird coconut song being played now. Some people are saying that this video was not actually posted by the club, rather, the club was only tagged in the video, and for whatever reason, they never took it down. Now, some people are calling it a racist video. When I first saw the video, my immediate reaction was that this is just really weird, and I might be too old to understand why someone would even want to watch this admittedly I did not think it was intended to be racist that was just my original reaction I don't know if it is racist or if it isn't these days it's sometimes difficult to figure that out but if there is any doubt whatsoever then it's best to avoid posting stuff like that at all but as I said that video may not have been made by the club's official TikTok admin also this video was originally posted prior to the Bologna match, which I think is an important bit of information. So anyone suggesting that this video was a reaction to the Bologna match clearly did not check their facts. However, there was a second video that definitely was a reaction to the missed penalty kick against Bologna. The club's TikTok admin posted a video essentially trolling Osimhen for missing the penalty kick which was far too soon to be joking about. Now, understandably so, Victor and his entourage were clearly offended by this post. How in the world anyone at the club could think it would be a good idea to troll one of their own players, let alone their most valuable player, the best striker in all of Serie A, after he missed a penalty kick that would have won the match for his club, is completely beyond me. Not to mention, that penalty kick was immediately before Victor's outburst. At Garcia, So I don't know if the admin was reacting to that as well, but it is incomprehensible to me how no one at the club thought it would be a bad idea to post that, assuming they even knew what the post was about or what TikTok is in general, because I'm not so certain that anyone other than that admin at the club uses TikTok. Now, one of Oseman's agents, Roberto Calenda, who rarely uses social media, posted the following statement. He said... What happened today on Napoli's official profile on the TikTok platform is not acceptable. A video mocking Victor was first made public and then, rather belatedly, deleted. A serious fact that causes very serious damage to the player and adds to the treatment that the boy has been suffering recently between media trials and fake news. We reserve the right to take legal action and any useful initiative to protect Victor. Now unless there's a clause in Victor's contract that says the club shall not mock him, which I highly doubt, I don't think there is much to fight about in court. Teasing a player is not defamation. I suspect that post was just a way to put the club on notice and to get their attention. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether perhaps there were ulterior motives for Kalenda to post the statement on Victor's behalf. One is that this is actually about the ongoing contract negotiations. If that's true, then this statement will not be well received by De Laurentiis. Another possibility is that Victor and his entourage are trying to force a move in January, which could also be related to his outburst in the Bologna match. We talked about Osiman's frustration in Part 1 and the reports that he apologized to his teammates and the coach, so I thought... That meant that this whole thing was water under the bridge, but who knows, maybe it wasn't. Of course, it could also be related to the agent's motives. We know that agents make their commissions when players switch clubs, so it could be Kalenda that is giving Osimhen bad advice for selfish personal reasons, although I don't think that would be great for anyone involved, because what you really want is for Osimhen to have a fantastic season to drive his value up, because then Napoli can sell him for a huge transfer fee, Which means Victor makes a lot more money and so does his agent. So if they are trying to force a move, that would put everyone in an awkward position because it means that no one will get top value on the sale of OCMEN as soon as January, which is of course not what anybody wants. However, if Victor refuses to play or continues to play but does so without motivation because he's distracted or pissed off or for whatever reason, then his value will decline and like I said, that's bad for everyone. While I'm sure there will remain plenty of interest in Osima no matter what happens here, prospective clubs might view this whole situation as a red flag. On the flip side, there's also the possibility that ADL freezes Victor out. That would completely erase the value of Napoli's biggest asset. But if ADL is really pissed off, then who knows, maybe he just might do that. I saw some people commenting on how we're going to lose Victor for free. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Victor still has a full season remaining on his contract beyond the current one. So we'd be talking about potentially freezing him out for two full seasons, which could be really damaging for the career of a 24-year-old, and I think everyone is going to work to ensure that that does not happen. Back to the motivations. Some have suggested that this is an attempt to have Garcia sacked ASAP. I suppose that's possible, but again the coach is within his rights to make substitutions. You can't fire the coach every time a player complains. That would give the players way too much power, and they already have too much power as it is. In any case, this is obviously not a good situation. We even saw that Victor removed many of his Napoli pictures from his Instagram page, which is a very 2023 thing to do. My hope, as I posted on X is that everyone can just put their egos aside for 5 minutes and fix this, because it can be fixed rather easily, even though the club didn't make that part easier on themselves either. What they should have done is post their own statement immediately after Kalenda's statement, condemning the behavior of the admin, and advising that the club is conducting an internal investigation. Instead, They just didn't post anything at all. The club didn't post anything, De Laurentiis didn't post anything, and none of that helps to resolve the matter. Nonetheless, I think all it takes is a sit-down between ADL, Kalenda, and Osimen for ADL to apologize on behalf of the club. I know none of us expect that to happen, and to explain what happened and what measures are being taken to ensure that something like this never happens again. So let's see what happens. As of the time of this recording, the official squad list has not yet been posted. I think that will be very telling. Hopefully, we see Victor's name on the team sheet. No matter what happens, we still have a game to play. So let me tell you a little bit about Udinese. They're off to a pretty dreadful start to the campaign with no wins, three draws, and two losses. That leaves them third from the bottom of the table, tied with Salernitana on only three points. Their biggest issue is that they don't have a real attacker at the moment. I thought Gerard Delefeu was close to a return from that terrible knee injury he suffered last season actually playing against us. He posted a video in the summer on social media showing himself training, but he still has not made an appearance. Meanwhile, Beto was sold to Everton very late in the transfer window, which meant that Udinese didn't really have time to replace him. In fact, Beto played Udinese's opening match of the season against Juventus, but Juve won that match before the end of the first half. Udinese had a few chances, Tovan and Samardzic were both well stopped by Wojtek Szczesny, but most of Udinese's chances were in the second half, when the match was being played out as a mere formality. Even with Juve taking their foot off the gas for half the match, Udinese were only able to register an xG of 1.0. Next they played against Salernitana, once again Udinese did not create many chances in that match, but in fairness. Ochoa, like Chesney, made a couple of big saves in that one. Samritsic scored Udinese's only goal in the match, and in fact, their only goal so far this season. It was actually a lovely team goal, topped off with an excellent volley into the bottom corner. But Udinese allowed Salernitana to get back into that match. Bulaide scored the equalizer in the 72nd minute, and from that point onward, Salernitana had all the momentum, and with all the chances they had in the final 20 minutes, very nearly stole all three points. Marco Silvestri had to make a couple of big saves to protect the draw. In the end, the XGs were 0.5 for Salernitana to 0.8 for Udinese, so the draw was probably a fair result on the whole. In round three, Udinese played against the mighty Frosinone. You could say that this game was the opposite of the Salernitana one in the sense that both sides had plenty of chances to score. The XG was 1.8 to 1.5 for Frozinone, but Udinese were a little bit unlucky. They had a penalty decision overturned for an attacking foul, and they had a Frozinone own goal reversed by the VAR because the ball had just barely crossed the byline before Tovan crossed it into the area. Meanwhile, both keepers made some decent saves. Silvestri is the last person to blame for Udinese's record at the moment. He's done his part to keep his side in these matches with some really good saves. Udinese's fourth round match was against newly promoted Cagliari, and in my opinion, Le Zebreta were fortunate to even get a single point out of this match. Cagliari had way more chances than Udinese did, but their finishing was not terrible, but not great either. They narrowly missed the target a number of times, including a shot from Zito Luvumbu that struck the upright in the first half. Udinese basically had one good chance in the match, but it was the best chance for either side. Lorenzo Luca did really well to control the ball in the area, but Boris Radunovic stopped him from point blank range. Again, the xG tells the story in this one. Calyde had an xG of 1.6 and deserved to win, while Udinese had an xG of 0.7, mostly from that Lorenzo Luca chance late in the match, yet it finished in another scoreless draw. Finally, Udinese traveled to Tuscany to take on Fiorentina at the weekend. This was easily Udinese's best performance of the season, and they actually deserved to win this one, so they were very unfortunate not to. They had chance after chance, and this time their finishing was better, and by that I mean they hit the target, but they ran into Pietro Terracciano, who was very, very good. He made three or four really big saves on Udinese in the first half alone. Lorenzo Luca once again wasted an incredible chance in the second half, he basically had the entire goal to shoot at from the edge of the 6 yard box, and somehow he hit the outside of the goal. Meanwhile, Fiorentina hardly created any chances, but were super clinical, they had 4 shot attempts in the match, only 2 of those shots hit the target, and yet both of those shots found the back of the goal. The XG for that match was 2.2 to 0.5 for Udinese, so they definitely deserved at least a single point from that match, if not all three, but I think that result will give them some positive momentum heading into this match. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. For Napoli, Rudy Garcia will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Medet in goal, it's still early in the season, so there's no harm in playing Meret every three days. Also, Pierluigi Golini is still recovering from a hand injury, so we don't really have a choice but to play Meret at the moment. Likewise, both Amir Rachmani and Juan Jesus are going to be out for a while with their respective thigh muscle injuries, so we should see Natan and Leo Ostegaard starting once again at center back. With Matthias Oliveira starting against both Braga and Bologna, I think it's only logical that Mario Rui starts in this one, and of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. The midfield is where I really struggle to predict who's going to play. At some point, these guys are going to need a rest, but I look at the bench and I can't help but feel like there's a pretty big drop-off in quality if we replace any of our usual midfielders. Also, this has now become a must-win match for us. If we don't win, I think we will be in full-blown crisis mode, and then we could see that Laurenti's call us into Retiro. So for that reason... I am expecting Engisa, Lobotka, and Zielinski all to start once again, with Raspadori, Elmas, and Cayusta all providing options off the bench. Now, up top, we could see 1-2 to two changes. I think for sure we are going to see Matteo Politano come back into the starting 11 after Giacomo Raspadori started on the right wing against Bologna. I also think Hritsa right Helia will start again at left wing. Now prior to the Bologna match I said I wouldn't mind seeing Simeone start this one and we just might but for very different reasons than I was expecting. What I was expecting was that it'd be useful to give Osiman a rest. Then we had that incident that I talked about in part one and I thought okay now we absolutely have to start Osiman because if we don't it's gonna send a message that Garcia is punishing him for his outburst. And then we had this whole drama with the post from Kalanda online so now I have no idea what is going to happen here I think we have to play our best starting eleven because we need to win this match, and there's no denying how much better we are with Osiman in the starting eleven. but given everything that's going on, we just don't know who is going to play, but I am still holding out hope that Osiman starts at the number 9. Of course, if he does not, then either Giovanni Simeone or Giacomo Raspadori can play in that position as well. For Udinese, Ricardo Sotil will line up in a 3-5-2 formation with Marco Silvestri in goal. If you think we have an injury crisis at centre back, have a look at Udinese's injuries, particularly in that position. So Sotil's preferred back three is Biol, Christian Cabazelle, and Nehuen Perez. However, Cabezelle suffered an injury in Udinese's round four match against Calcutty. He was replaced by Enzo Ebos in the 38th minute, and then Ebos was removed at the half with what turned out to be a torn ACL. Adam Messina was already out with a muscular injury. So Thomas Christensen is the next man up. He started against Fiorentina at the weekend. Axel Guassand is an option as well. He replaced Ebos in the Cagliari match at the start of the second half. The injuries don't stop there. Right wing back Kingsley Ehezebue is also out with a torn ACL. So Festi Ebozela has been playing on the right while Hassan Kamara tends to start on the left. Udinez's most dangerous player is Lazar Samardzic, who typically lines up in the center of the midfield three with Wallace to his left and Martin Payero to his right. Perhaps we'll see Sandy Lovridge start over Payero in the midfield, because Sotil will want to rotate where he can on short rest. He's also been a fairly regular starter there, and Roberto Pereira also returned to the squad, but I doubt he will be thrown straight into the starting eleven. Finally, with the transfer of Beto to Everton and no real replacement for him, Lorenzo Luca and Florian Thauvin have been the preferred options as the front two. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is probably the most obvious, and that is that we need to stay focused on getting a result Given this whole Osimhen situation, obviously that will not be easy whether he plays or not. If Osimhen plays and has a poor game, I think this situation could get even worse. We know how ridiculous some people can be on social media. We know how ridiculous certain Italian newspapers can be. You can be sure we'll be dominating the front pages of the papers now that the club is in disarray. When things are going well, we barely get a small corner on those covers of those pages. On the other hand if Osiman plays and scores and more importantly if we win then this can all be put behind us for a little while and we can refocus on defending our title. If Osiman doesn't play at all then there will be plenty more drama off the pitch but we need to stay focused on the pitch because we still have enough quality in Simeone and Raspadori to be able to win this match. My second key to the match is that we need to defend the wings. Despite all of their injuries, I think Udinese's strength is the pace of their wingbacks. Both Kamara on the left and Festi on the right have incredible pace and can run past players with ease. That means Politano and Cavada will need to track back to help Mario Rui or Olivetta, whoever plays at left back, and Di Lorenzo at right back, respectively. Lorenzo Luca has struggled to find the back of the goal, but at 6 foot 7 or 2 meters tall, the man is a gigantic target in the area for those wingbacks to pick out with the cross. Now, he's not great with his feet, but that size alone makes him a big threat in the area. This will be a good test for Ostegaard and Natan, who weren't really tested against Bologna. Now, Ostegaard is very, very good in the air. That is his biggest strength, in fact. And Natan is quite tall as well. He's not 6'7", he's about 6'2", or 1.88 meters tall. So he's shorter than Luka, but when you consider his leap, Natan should be able to defend those crosses from the right wing. My final key to the match is to concede as few set pieces as possible, particularly in dangerous areas. I think that would go a long way in negating the attacking threat of Samardzic. This man, who I was really hoping we signed in the summer as a potential long-term replacement or understudy for Zielinski, has a deadly left foot. He can definitely punish us if we concede free kicks within shooting range in the middle of the park. We also need to be careful with free kicks conceded on either side of the midfield, but particularly on the right side of the midfield. In that Fiorentina match, We saw Udinese execute a play straight from the training ground, where they played two short passes to get the ball to Samrodzic at the edge of the area. He cut in on his left foot and nearly curled the ball into the top corner at the far post, but Terracano was able to tip the shot over the bar. Finally, we want to limit the number of corner kicks we concede as well. Samrodzic can hurt us there with his delivery. I already mentioned Lorenzo Luca's threat from the cross because of his size, Nehuen Perez is also an attacking threat when it comes to corner kicks, so we need to watch out for him making the run from the top of the box. Both of the goals we conceded against Genoa were from the corner kick, so we need to be better at defending them. For my prediction, I am going to go with a 2-0 Napoli victory, and I will give the goals to, yes, you guessed it, Victor Osimen and Matteo Politano. Yes, I am predicting, or maybe hoping, or maybe I'm trying to will into existence, that Oseman will not only start this match, but score for us as well. As I said earlier, Udinese have scored only one goal all season, so the chances of them scoring against us at the Maradona are fairly slim, but this is Napoli we are talking about. Especially this season under Garcia, we've had a tendency to make our lives way more difficult than we need to. We definitely need to score two or more goals because, as we saw against Braga, a one-goal lead is just too risky to defend, even if we fully deserve to win that match. This was already a must-win game for us, but this Oseman situation has made it even more critical that we get all three points because if we do not... We are in a full-blown crisis. I can already see Garcia blaming the -the off-the-field distraction for the poor result. I can see that Laurentiis calling for a retiro and perhaps making some comments publicly that only throw gas on the fire. And I can see the players revolting against management like they did under Ancelotti, even if it was almost an entirely different group of players. But if we win, then at least we can defer some or all of that drama for a couple of days until we play against a surprisingly strong Legiside. Okay, that will do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, sorry for posting this one so late and so close to the match. It would have been out yesterday, but I basically had to redo part two after that Osiman story broke, so that slowed me down a little bit. Anyhow, if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. That always helps us to grow the show. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on x at joe underscore fischetti 5 and you can find the podcast on x, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli pod I will be back in a couple of days, I hope, <laughs> to review this match against Udinese, and hopefully to preview the next one against Lecce, but until then, I'm Joel Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.